0: again and welcome to the third episode of the Challenge of Behaviour Change podcast. My name is Dr Emma Davis and in this series of podcasts I've been exploring some of the important issues facing researchers who are trying to develop interventions to change people's behaviours. So many of you may be thinking now about how to deliver your interventions and so episodes 3 and 4 should be really helpful in terms of thinking about your options. In today's episode, Dr Catherine Wheatley talks to me about the fit-to-study intervention, which aimed to increase physical activity in school pupils. This is a really big study, with 100 schools taking part and around 16,000 individual student participants, and they had to complete lots of measures at lots of different time points, so there's a lot of complexity here. And Catherine told me about some of the challenges, including the issue of fidelity, so is the intervention actually delivered as planned? Other issues included diversity, inclusion, and neurodiversity. Hello, Hello, Catherine. Thank you very much for um, giving me some of your time today. Um, Can you just introduce yourself to the students and, and tell us a little bit about what you're up to?
1: Okay, so my name is Catherine Wheatley. I'm a postdoctoral researcher at the Department for Clinical Neurosciences at the University of Oxford. and My particular um, interest is relationships between physical activity and mental health and brain health.
0: Okay, that's very interesting and something that I know lots of our students are interested in. So I've been asking this question to everybody, but why um, Why is changing behaviour so difficult in the um, sort of physical activity area?
1: So physical activity is a really kind of complex behavior we define physical activity as any kind of bodily movement produced by our muscles that requires energy so that covers like a huge range of different behaviors it could be for example um you know going for a run going for a jog at lunchtime it could be um you know taking the stairs instead of uh, getting the lift it could be um active transport to your campus um, or it could be you know playing football so it's a huge different kind of range of types of behavior I suppose so it's important to think about what kind of particular type of physical activity you might want to target with an intervention and in what kind of context as well is it you know in a school setting or is it in you know an exercise class or is it in your kind of everyday life
0: so, you mentioned before that there's also lots of different influences on physical activity. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, so I guess when you think about behaviour change and models of behaviour change, you're kind of assuming that there are various psychosocial constructs that explain and predict physical activity behaviour. So, for example, um, we might think that attitudes to physical activity are important or beliefs around being active. important or you know our motivation or our our, you know our capability to be active so when we're thinking about designing an intervention we might pick you know a behavior change model that speaks to some of those constructs but of course this kind of behavior doesn't take place in a vacuums all sorts of other kind of environmental and biological factors that influence our physical activity and those are you know, they're much harder or impossible to modify in some cases. So, you know, where you live might influence your physical activity. Do you live in a, you know, an urban environment? Do you live in a towel block or do you live somewhere that's close to um, sport and leisure facilities? You know, how much money have you got? What's your socioeconomic status? Can you I know, afford to, to, you know, join your local leisure centre, for example? Um, you know, how old are you? Are you an older adult who finds mobility difficult anyway? And actually one of the biggest single influences on your physical activity behaviour is your sex. We know that women are less active than men in general. So when, when we go about designing a physical activity intervention, it's also really important to define how you're going to account for all those things that are much harder or impossible to modify, like sex and socioeconomic status.
0: That's uh, interesting, isn't it, a reflection, because as, as psychologists, at least, we're, we're looking to try and change the more um psychosocial variables but as you point out we, we can't really help to change people's living environment so yeah it's really important and um, so you were recently part of quite a large study which um the overall goal I think was to increase physical activity could you tell us a little bit about the the intervention and what are the aims of the bigger study okay
1: yeah so this was um called the fit to study trial which was a A randomized control trial that was uh, looking at the impact of a vigorous physical activity intervention during secondary school PE on a number of different factors in a model. So we were looking at how this intervention would impact fitness, how in turn that might um, impact brain health, um, including mental health and learning and thinking abilities in these children and then ultimately their academic attainment. Um, which we defined as their, their maths attainment on a test. Um, this was a really quite a big randomised control trial that we organised. Um, it needed to be big because we needed to have um, enough power, I guess, to detect the um, effects that we were interested in. So we had hundred schools taking part um, across the whole of the Midlands and the south of England. Um, over 16,000 students um, took part in the trial. Um, and we were trying to um, target PE lessons for a whole academic year. So basically 10 months of, physical, uh, 10 months of PE lessons in schools. Um, and the way that we'd organized the intervention was that we trained the teachers to deliver a form of modified PE in our intervention arm. And the intervention was really quite simple. We were simply asking the teachers to deliver an active 10-minute warm-up in every PE lesson that would raise um, the student's heart rate to a certain level to get them exercising at a vigorous level. And we also asked them to deliver three lots of two-minute bursts of vigorous physical activity, which we defined as... You know, things like running on the start spot or star jumps or um, lunges, something that really kind of gets you, gets you active, gets you uh, breathing heavily and raises your heart rate and your temperature a little bit. Um, so we had a lot of um, tests to measure various outcomes of, of the intervention. So we were measuring fitness with bleep test in schools. We were measuring uh, mental health with an online questionnaire. We actually used something called the strengths and difficulties questionnaire. Um, We had a number of kind of reaction time tasks to measure attention and memory. Um, And we were also uh, thinking quite hard about how to describe um, fidelity to the intervention as well. So to what extent the teachers were delivering the intervention that we asked them to deliver and to what extent the students were actually doing it.
0: So it was a a
1: big trial and a lot going on.
0: Yeah it sounds like there is a lot going on there and um, um, particularly um, difficult in in schools I guess. So could you tell us about some of the the challenges that are involved then? So there's so many schools, so many teachers, Um, do you think that the intervention was always delivered as it was planned?
1: Uh Um, I think you know one one of the The biggest challenges in an intervention like this is that, you know, as researchers, we want to have a lot of control over what we're measuring and how we're measuring it. We like to kind of do things to a standardised methodology and we like to, um, you know, have a lot of control over how things are delivered and how things are measured, so it is standard. And of course, real life doesn't work like that, you know. for example, the quality of the data that you would get from running a, a reaction time task in a laboratory setting versus the quality of the data that you would get in a classroom it's just you know hundreds of miles apart really, so that all these kinds of issues about measurement and the fact that you know we needed to measure things at a certain time to fit in with our experimental design, but actually you know teachers were away or you know we would turn up to pick up some measurements and find that the whole class had gone on a day trip that we didn't know (laughs) about. So it was, you know what, it was, it was, real life can be messy and I think as researchers working on interventions we kind of have to be prepared for that and not get too kind of stressed or precious about it, you know, we're working in, working in a real life environment so it can be difficult. So that was one challenge, just, you know, reality. Um, I guess another big one was that we were working to a very kind of specific timeline. Um, You know, we were working within school terms, which are, you know, eight weeks, 10 weeks long. Um, We had to collect a lot of data in a very kind of short window. We needed to collect all of our baseline measures in, you know, one summer term. And we needed to collect all of our post-intervention measures the same time next year. It's just a really short window to collect so much mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and I guess we, we we touched a little bit on the idea of um, fidelity as well. And it, it actually, it was very difficult to know whether the intervention was delivered as we intended. Um, you know, we did send observers to go and watch lessons, but we couldn't be in every lesson all the time. And uh, although the lessons appeared to be delivered as we had intended when someone was there watching them, I'm sure that there was quite a big observer effect going on there and that, you know, when we weren't there, it probably looked quite different.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> so we did, you know, we did ask our teachers to to um, fill out log books to kind of indicate whether they delivered the lessons as we wanted. But, you know, quite often the teachers just didn't have time to do it or they forgot. Um so it's actually it was really quite difficult to to know for sure if
0: it was delivered as we thought we wanted it to be. And that um, thinking about the logbooks as well uh, and um, observations, that's obviously in, in more data that you then got to to deal with somehow um, during the, the study. Um, so there's lots of things that were potentially challenging there. What do you what do you think the sort of main things that you and the team learnt from this? working on this particular project?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a good question and it's something that I think as a team, we've, we've all been quite keen to reflect on and to pass on to you know the next generation of researchers who are gonna be doing this kind of um, intervention. I guess perhaps the biggest learning was to prefer fewer measures and better quality measures it's always so tempting when you design an experiment or you run a study to go right i'm going to collect lots of data and it's going to be great but actually i think just collect less and collect it better that will be one really kind of key learning um and i think you know built built from that i suppose just really taking time to understand the situation that you're in And maybe think about even co-designing your intervention and your data collection with, with teachers or with, you know, the people who are going to be helping you. I mean, obviously we did talk to teachers. We did take advice, but on reflection, I think we probably could have done more of that. We could have asked them more about what would work from their perspective and maybe talk to um, the participants more as well. I think, We somewhat assumed that the teachers would be able to do whatever we asked them to do, but of course the pupils have their own views on what they want to do as well. (laughs) Um, I think another big learning for us was about scaling up the intervention. So obviously we piloted this work before we rolled it out into the big 100 school study but we piloted the work in schools around Oxford. And although, you know, it's quite a mixed catchment area around Oxford, I think essentially a lot of the schools are really used to working with Oxford Brooks and Oxford University. Mm. They kind of know they kind of know the experimental method a little bit and they're on top of it. So what was working in our pilot schools that we used in Oxfordshire was not necessarily fit for what we needed it to do when we took it into sort of inner city schools in in London and in Birmingham so I mean just to give you a couple of examples of that um, the teacher training that we designed focused quite a lot on the neuroscience that underpinned our intervention so um, we were interested in how fitness would improve your brain health and we talked quite a lot about that in the in the training And our Oxford-based teachers loved that. I thought that was really interesting. But, you know, the other teachers went, well, I don't care about neuroscience. I just need to know how to teach my kids. And I think that was entirely fair enough. We should have thought more about that. Um, And I guess another example might be um, asking kids to do vigorous physical activity is all fine, but we hadn't included some, you know, um, you know, issues around diversity and inclusivity with this. You know, there are some kids who just can't do vigorous physical activity for whatever reason. I mean, so for example, kids who are fasting during Ramadan, just, you know, they can't do vigorous physical activity. It's just not fair to ask them to do that. And we hadn't really thought about issues like that either. I think that was important. Um, so I guess to sum it all up, I would say think hard, spend the time, invest the time thinking really hard about how you're going to design things and maybe co-design it with the people that you're going to be working with.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting reflection, isn't it, around co-design. Um, so were there things that you you and the team identified that the, the pupils didn't like about the intervention or that it might have worked better, do you think?
1: From the pupils' perspective, um, I think we perhaps made an assumption that um, all the students would be oh here's a good example maybe I think we made an assumption that all the kids would be able to access the tests that you know that age 12 to 13 we very much assumed that they'd all be able to read the instructions and follow them Um, but actually of course you know we live in a neurodiverse world where you know people do have attention problems and processing problems. And you know, there were students with dyslexia or ADHD who just really couldn't sit down and do it. And I, you know, we should, on reflection, perhaps should have thought more about that, about how the pupils would respond to some of the tests we were giving them.
0: That's a really important reflection, and and I hopefully people can learn from that experience and um and build on that. And that's been really interesting. And, and um, I know um, it was quite a, a challenging but um, but interesting project for you to work on. Was there anything else that you can tell us about this topic that um, that might be useful to pass on, you think? I guess my only other
1: reflection is that we ran this piece of research as a, as a randomised control trial, which obviously is the kind of the gold standard for producing scientific evidence and that does mean that in a situation like this you do need a big sample size to power your experiment effectively Um, but then that idea of a big sample size did create problems of its own it did create problems with actually collecting the data and more importantly measuring the fidelity of the intervention and so although we had this RCT that told us that actually in the end we had null results. We were never entirely sure whether the results were null because the intervention itself didn't work or because it wasn't delivered in the way that we wanted it to be. So I wouldn't ever want to say that our intervention showed that a vigorous physical activity intervention in school PE does nothing for cognition or mental health or academic attainment. I think the conclusion in this case was that we weren't able to collect sufficient quality of evidence to prove that either way.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say, does it work? But you've answered (laughs) my question. Because, um, yeah, thinking about the trickiness of actually doing that, Um, you know it means that we can't say for sure because I imagine that for some of those participants it it probably did do something for them but you just haven't got the evidence to to say let's roll this out and that's a real shame after all that time been spent so i do hope that some of the evidence that you've collected i know you're writing lots of papers up about it yeah we'll be able to will be able to kind of have some positive impact and i will point the students towards some of your papers as well and so that'll be really really helpful but thank you ever so much for um spending the time to talk to me today about the challenges of implementing and trying to measure effectiveness in such a massive study was really enlightening. It tells us that working in the real world is clearly very challenging. In this study, the schools and the teachers were very generous in giving their time to help out and of course the students were asked to complete a whole lot of questionnaires at different time points. In terms of delivering the intervention itself, as Catherine said, It was tricky to unpick exactly what was happening in the classroom. As she said as well, they did send observers in to check out what was going on. But of course, you can't have observers in every single session. And what happens when you're not there observing is obviously very key. This is a big consideration when we're thinking about delivering interventions face to face. This was obviously a huge project as well, but we can learn a lot from the lessons the research team found out about. One thing that Catherine mentioned was this idea of co-production, so working very closely with your participants and the people who your intervention is intended to be delivered to, to actually develop the intervention with them. Ask them what they want, ask them what would be feasible and acceptable to them. Lots of research funders now actually really require you to do this as a condition of funding studies. So, although um, a lot of you probably not thinking about delivering interventions in school settings, we can certainly learn a lot about other face-to-face settings from the issues that Catherine and her research team came across here. But before you think, well, gosh, that is challenging, I think I'll be better off doing something digital, then please listen to the next episode as we will also think about some of the challenges in delivering digital interventions as well.